Hallelujah, Father. The, um, I'm not going to give you a sense of false hope and try to set that. It won't take long. The, uh, I'm going to start off this morning, and Sister Fowler, if you would, go ahead and put that title slide up, please. There you go. That's the title of this morning's message, and the title came from a question, <clears throat> and I can't say that this question came from the fertile recesses of my brain. I heard it from Dr. Jerry Savelle, and he heard it from someone else, but I thought it was the perfect way to segue into this teaching. And uh, so what I want to do is ask you a question, and if you, your answer is yes, I want you to raise your hand full mass, not half mass. Raise it up so I can see it. And the question is this, do you believe that dogs love meat bones? Right, keep them up. I saw a couple go down, you're not real sure? Okay, yeah, a little over half. I want to submit to you for your that your sweet little Fido actually does not like or love meat bones, but loves meat. But they settle for meat bones, cheap thing ain't never buying a mistake. They know when you come home from the restaurant, they only going to get the leftovers, so they settle. And here's a way to test this theory, if you're willing to do it. On your way home today, go buy a butcher shop. Not, don't get that cheap meat. Go to a butcher shop and get a two-inch thick cut of prime steak. Take it home, cook it, medium rare, let a little bit of the juice be in there, and then plate it up and set both at the same time in front of Fido and see which one Fido takes. <laughs> I want to say again, they don't love meat bones. They settle for meat bones. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about settling. You and I, as we go through life, we have two choices. Y'all with me this morning? Yeah. Life is really not complicated. It usually comes down to two choices. You can either live by faith or not. You can love or hate. Hmm? You can do it or don't do it. You can settle or you can strive. Now, the word settle, you know, it's, it's, it's a, depending upon how you use it, it can mean different things, and it's a, got a very long definition. There are those who are settlers, like I mentioned with my wife when I always try to use that thing. I come in from the yard, and I got a single bead of glistening perspiration because I don't sweat. I perspire. And I try to go in for a kiss, but she sees that little glistening streak, and she's like, no, no, no. You don't touch this looking like that. And so she'll make me go take a shower, which I do, I want to confess, but under protest. And I let her know I'm doing it, not because she told me I'm doing it, because I'm the man of my castle, and I choose to. I got the microphone, and she ain't here. I can say whatever I want. But then there's another way of settling, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. The word settle can be defined as to lose motion, to fall to the bottom, to lose motion, to quit moving and start falling. And that can be contrasted with strive. 
The word strive means to contend, to struggle, to contest, to struggle in opposition to another. And I want to say it again. As we go through life, we've only got two choices. We can keep pressing. We can keep believing. We can keep praying. We can keep moving onward and upward. Or we can settle. We can stop moving forward and begin to fall to the bottom. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, I want you to see a verse here. and I won't keep you real long, but I do want you to get this. Paul was writing to his spiritual son in chapter 6, verse 12 of 1 Timothy. And he said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, both these words fight. The second fight is the word agon. The first is a variation of it. But that word agon in the Greek is where we get the word agony. Because listen to me when I tell you this. If living by faith was easy, everyone would be doing it. But the fact of the matter is, living by faith has a certain agonizing aspect to it. Because we have to overcome an environment that is hostile to our dreams and our calling. We have to overcome voices that rise up almost as a chorus and tell us we weren't created for anything of significance, that we ought to just settle and appreciate mediocrity and being average. And if we listen to the voices and we pay too much attention to our environment, the dream that is within us that God placed there, will fade, and we find ourselves settling for something less than what we originally set out to do or be. And I want to really encourage you not to do that, because even though it is agonizing, that is not proof of defeat. You're following me? Sometimes the agony is proof that you're still in the fight and struggling. In fact, that brings me to the next verse. If you would put up... 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. And this is all just the entryway. We're not in the house yet. We're at the doorpost. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. Paul's saying, look, I ain't in this running circles. I've got a destination in sight. I've got a goal, a prize, an agenda, and I'm running toward that. And then he said this, I box. Now, I don't know. I, you know, I, I've always been more of a lover than a fighter. It just it has to do with looking this good, I guess. And you're like, who is this guy? I live in my own world of deception. In my world, I am slim, trim, muscular, six foot two, and I can dunk backwards. In reality, nope. But Paul said, I box. Now, in my life, I remember two boxers. When I was a little kid, it was all Muhammad Ali. How many of you ever heard Muhammad Ali? Then when I got into my teenage years, it was Iron Mike. And whether it was Muhammad Ali or Iron Mike, every opponent who went into the ring to face them all said pretty much the same thing. I've trained hard, I've got a strategy, 
and I am going to win this fight. And so they go into the ring like you and I, with high hopes. We've got a strategy, and we're in shape, and we're going to do this. And then they discover that their opponent also has a strategy. Their opponent has been working hard, too. And their opponent has the same intention. In fact, Iron Mike used to say this. His intention was not to knock him out. His intention was to kill him. And when you're in the ring with an opponent who seeks to kill you, your strategy can change. Because in the first round, you're doing your best Fred Sanford. And you're going to take him out. By the third round, when you've got a few body shots, your, y'all feel, your strategy changes. And you're no longer in it to win it. You're in it to survive. <laughs> you just want to make it through this thing. And so instead of swinging for the knockout, you're covering up. Because all your, your whole thing is just make the pain stop. I wish somebody would just ring the bell already. I just don't want to fight no more. Remember, agony of faith. You've heard me say this before, that life is a full contact sport. And sometimes as we're going through life, journeying toward our dream, our promised land, the high calling of Christ, we take some body shots. And we're, we're, we're believing we're going to achieve. We're believing that we're going to have our breakthrough. But then when we get hit, it's just, Pastor, can the pain just stop? And so your mindset switches from thriving to surviving. We've all been there. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed earnestly, not faith, but earnestly asking God, can I do anything but this? Anything but this. When you, listen to this, when you're trying to survive, you're not planning to thrive. When you are trying to survive, when you wake up in the day just hoping you're still there at the end of it. When you're trying to survive, you're no longer planning to thrive. And understand this, God has not called not one of us to merely survive. Not one of us. Every single one of us has a dream, has potential, has a significant reason for being. And God wants us to have the mindset of the overcomer. To thrive, not just survive. And before we lay down this mortal body of ours to have left a mark that is not easily erased and will for generations change the legacy of our family. But in order to achieve that and become what God has ordained for you to be, we've got to learn how to get in the ring again. Because this ain't a short-term fight. This is a 15-rounder. And it doesn't matter if you've lost the first 14 rounds. You can still win. In fact, listen to what Paul said. I read to you 1 Timothy. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I fought it. I have finished 
the course, and I have kept the faith. Listen, don't settle for dog bones. Don't settle for just barely enough. Keep striving. Keep believing. I'm going to show you an example in the Bible, and it's found in Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. And I don't know what Bible you're reading, but in my Bible it has a title at the head of this chapter. And it says, Reuben and Gad settle in Gilead. And this is not that hyper-courageous settling of the early pioneers. This is falling to the bottom type settling. And you'll see by the way Moses responds to their settling that Moses was not happy with what they intended to do. Let's read. Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Yazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock. Hear me when I say this. It wasn't a bad land. It was a good land. It just wasn't the promised land. How many times in life do we settle for good when God called us to great? But you got to understand, Reuben and Gad, they didn't see this as a bad thing. They had, they had come out of Egypt when they were children. They had wandered in the desert every step of the way with Moses and the other 12 tribes. They had been there every day. They had experienced every breakthrough. They had survived every difficulty. And they had grown in the experience. They weren't there yet. Now hear me when I say this. But they were better off than they used to be. Sometimes the greatest enemy of great is the good. Because, listen, Pastor, I know I'm not there. I know what I told you God had told me. But man, it's been a long time. Rick Renner wrote a book. If you don't have it in your library, get it. It's called Dream Thieves. And in this book, Rick details some of the greatest threats to your dream. And one of the greatest threats to your dream is a thing called time. Because you receive a promise and one day turns into one week and one week turns into one year. And maybe one year turns into one decade. And you're wondering, did God actually say what He said? Because it's been a long time. If it was God, it should have already happened. If it was God, it shouldn't have been this hard. If it was God... And so the greatest threat to our promise is time. And Reuben and Gad had been at this for a long time. And when they saw Gilead and Yazer, they knew it wasn't the promised land. This isn't what they sat by the campfire and talked about. When they were just toddlers on their daddy's knees, daddy would talk to them about Egypt and the promised land. As they marched around, they would talk about stories of what the land was going to be like, and they knew exactly where it was. But when they got close, and I'm going to show you in a minute how close they were, they said, man, this land right here, it's good for livestock. And divine coincidentally, we have livestock. Yeah. 
Look at verse 4, same chapter, 32 verse 4. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants, we got livestock. Hmm? It ain't quite, but it's close. I'm going to borrow something from Keith Moore. Y'all listen to me. If it ain't quite, it ain't right. God doesn't play substitutes. God's very specific. And when he told you what the promise was, that's the promise. In a way to make it easily understood, if he promised you red, purple ain't it. It ain't it. It's good. It's close. It's classic. But it ain't red. Well, pastor. No, no, no. Don't pastor me. We got two choices in life. We can settle. Or we can keep pushing. And we can keep pressing. And we can, if need be, keep waiting till God does exactly what God said He would do. Because God is not a man that He would lie. If He has said it, He will do it. Verse 5, chapter 32. They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. This ain't that, but it's close enough for us. Then they said this, do not take us across the Jordan. Do not take us across the Jordan. That's a way of saying, don't make us pray one more day. Don't make us fight one more fight of faith. Don't make us do that. Just let us be here. Let us put the map up on the screen if you would, Sister Fowler. You see that red dot? That's the land of Gilead. In Yezer, that's where they were. Now I put this in here. That, that's modern day Jordan. And that's modern day Israel. That was the promised land. You see that gray streak with the little blue going through it? You know what that little blue is? That's the Jordan River. How close they were. They were right there. You know what I've discovered in life? We never settle 100 miles from our destination. It's we settle when we're within eyesight of it. Because we're close. Isn't this close enough? I know it's not everything, but it's something. And so this is where they wanted to settle. Right there. I mean, come on, dude. You've been wandering for 40 years. And you want to stop right there? Yet in life, that's what we do over and over and over again. They didn't want to strive any longer. Listen to this. They knew that the promised land was right across the river. But they wanted to stop. Listen to this. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Selah. I want to say it again. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Because God promised you, young lady, He promised you a Prince Charming and you settled for a frog. Don't you wish you had waited? God promised you this, but you accepted that. Don't you wish you had waited? 
Pastor, how do you know if I'm settling? I don't. You do. You do. You know when it ain't exactly what God had promised. You know when it isn't the dream that was in your heart. You know that when you started out, you were believing God for this or God had promised you this and you stopped. Only you know. Hmm. History tells us of the problems these Did I just cut off? Am I cutting off? It's going in and out. Am I in? Give me that mic just in case. Because if I go out, I want to get in. Because <laughs> when I'm out, I want to be in. When I'm in, I want to go out. I'll leave it here until I go out again. Numbers 32, verses 6. Reading it to you out of the contemporary English. This is what Moses answered. You mean you'd stay here while the rest of the Israelites go to battle? Verse 7. If you did that, you would discourage the others from crossing over into the land the Lord promised them. Now this word here, to discourage others, means to turn their hearts away. Here's what I want to say to you. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what place you inhabit. Everyone in here is an influencer. Everyone in here, someone is watching you. It might be your little boy. It might be your daughter. It might be your neighbor. It might be a fellow student. It might be your co-worker. But somebody's watching you. You are not a person without influence. And they're taking their cues from you. Should they pray? They're watching to see if you pray. Should they give? They're watching to see if you give. I remember years ago when my wife and I were missionaries in Poland. And we were mentoring this church. Actually, we oversaw a whole network of churches. But there was this one church that this was our main church. And we were, they called us the spiritual parents. And so we were always sat on the front row and... I did most of the teaching, and one day I'm sitting on the front row while they're receiving the offering, and I heard the Lord say, I've never forgotten this. I heard it as clear as anything. I heard the Lord say, they're all watching you. And when he said that, I just kind of, you know, you don't want to look obvious, like turn around. So you just kind of go. And it felt like every eye in the place was on me. And I knew what they were watching they heard me talk about giving. They heard me talk about worshiping the Lord in our offerings. They never saw me give. Because I gave to the ministries in America that had mentored us. But they didn't know that. But they were watching me. And the Lord let me know they were taking their cues from watching me. There's someone watching you. During worship, they're watching you. Do you stand up and give God praise or do you sit down? Ah, oh, come on now. Somebody's watching you and what you and I've got to understand is whether we press in or we pull back, we're not only impacting our journey, we're influencing theirs. That this thing about settling and striving is a two-edged sword. On the one end, it cuts us short. But on the other, it cuts others short. 
And this is what got Moses so angry. Go to verse 8. Same chapter. Well, no, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Reading it to you out of the modern King James. It says, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You're an epistle. There are some people who never read the book of Romans, but they'll look at the book of Brian. Hmm? Your life is an epistle. And people are reading you. What's your epistle saying? Does your epistle read thusly, I am cleave of the house Oliphant. In many a days did I battle until I grew weary. And my recliner doth looketh really good. So into my house I did go, and never to the battlefield. Hmm? And everyone who reads it thinks, lazy boy is the way to go. <laughs> or does your epistle read, I am cleave of the house Oliphant, and I pressed on till the day I left. I kept believing and I kept pressing and I discovered at the end of my journey not one time did God lie to me in every word He had spoken. He watched over to perform and every promise, every vision, every dream was fulfilled. And I encourage you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, keep striving, keep pressing, keep walking by faith and your journey and be like my journey. I would rather, I don't know about you, but I want my life to encourage others. To keep trying. Get up one more day. Try one more time. I understand it ain't easy. But it's doable. Because God is with us. God is for us. And God is in us. Hallelujah, Father. See, it's not just about you and me. It's about our legacy. It's about your children. It's about your children's children change the entire destiny and the legacy of your family just by not giving up. Not settling. Now go to verse 8 in Numbers 32. Listen to what Moses says. I'm sure they were not expecting this response. They probably thought Moses would say, sure, stay over here because then it's more for us. Moses says in verse 8, this is exactly what happened when I sent your ancestors from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. They went as far as the Eskol Valley, then returned and told the people that we should not enter it. Verse 10, the Lord became very angry. And then in verses 14 and 15, now you of Reuben and Gad are doing the same thing and making the Lord even angrier. Do you see that? Moses is telling him, you're doing the same thing your daddy did. And it's your daddy's fault that we stayed out in the desert for 40 years. Then he goes on to say, we'll even be angrier with you. Let me read that to you. Verse 15, look at this. this is the, if you reject the Lord. Hmm. If you reject the Lord. All they did is say... We just want to stay here. And Moses unloads on them. He says, you're going to discourage the hearts of everyone else. 
And then he goes on to say, if you reject the Lord. Another translation says, if you turn away from following him. See here, let me say something to you. God never stops short. If God said, I have a land for you, he's going to keep guiding you till he gets you into that land. God never stops short and says, you know what? I'm a little bit tired. You tired? I'm tired. Motel 6 looks really good. Y'all want to just camp out for a while? We'll just stay right here. In fact, you know what? How about if I just give you this instead of that? No, no. God will always lead you to the end. Always. And so what Moses is saying is if you stop short, you're rejecting him. Can you say, ouch? Settling ain't a good thing. He goes on to say he abandon his people and leave them here in this desert and you will be to blame. All I did was ask for permission to miss prayer meeting. Uh, yeah, I know. I'll, all I did was decide to miss church. Yeah. Someone's always watching. Listen, Moses equated settling for less than what God had promised as turning away from following him. And here's the thing to remember. We can never retire from faith. You can retire from your job, but you can't retire from following him. Faith always strives, always presses, always moves forward. I think this is one of the reasons why I so love the Apostle Paul. Paul never settled. Close. Did I cut up again? I'm going to switch over. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I just got a few verses and then we'll close. This is what Paul said. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now notice he said I press on. Just real quick. It's so important we pay attention to the way the Bible words and the imagery it paints. By Paul saying, I'm pressing on, he's indicating and letting us know there's something pushing against. You don't press when there's no pressure pushing back. If you're out for a walk and you're going downhill, you ain't pressing, you're rolling along. But it's when you get to the bottom of the hill and turn around and go, I got to go back home. You're walking uphill and gravity is applying a pressure. Now you've got to press. So what Paul is saying is as I go through life, I'm pressing. I'm pushing against that which is opposing me. In the book of Ephesians, he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
But our struggle, everyone say struggle, is against spiritual rulers and principalities and authorities in high places. These are the things that are opposing us because the enemy doesn't want us to become what God has ordained we ought to be. And if we're ever going to be what God has called us to be, we've got to have the attitude of a winner, not a settler. And this might be a good place, but if it ain't the place, then it's not that place that God has called us to. So we enjoy our journey through, but we don't stop. I had someone ask me one time, they said, Pastor, when's it going to be enough? It ain't. Because if you outlive me and you hear one day that Pastor Jimmy is gone and you find my journal, in it are going to be unrealized plans of increase. It's going to be up to the next generation. To do it, but I'm not going to stop short, and forgive me if this is you, I ain't never going to become an old fart on a golf cart <laughs> whose only ambition is to hit a white ball into a stupid little hole. We've got to always have something better than that to live for. And it doesn't matter whether we're 52, 62, 72, or 82. We're pressing for the next generation. No, I ain't saying it again. Get thee behind me. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having... Laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting about what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. There he says it again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you got to forget about how hard it's been and think about how good it's going to be. When you're living in houses you didn't build and you're drinking of wells you didn't dig and you're eating grapes from vineyards you didn't plant and you remember God and you tell God, God, you've been so good to me. I don't know how you did it, but you done did it. And I'm grateful. And then you follow that up with what's next? Hmm. Verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect. That word means mature. Have this attitude. What attitude? Not that we're settling, but we're striving. This is another day. Yesterday was rough, but today. Listen, round 13 was bad, man. He hit me some hard shots. But this is round 14, and I'm coming out of the gate swinging because I caught my second breath. That second breath is called the Spirit of Grace. 
Because I don't rely on my own strength. And when I'm weak, then am I strong. Because I've learned to lean not into my own understanding. But in all of my ways, I acknowledge him. And he's trained my hands for battle. So let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Now I'm going to close with reading that same but out of the Passion translation. Paul says this, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. Stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to read one more verse. This is for us. And I want to say to you this morning, you were created for something special. And you're not here in this epoch of time by accident. You have a role to fulfill. You have a place in the body. And heaven needs you. The earth needs you. Real life church needs you. Hey, I need you. And we've got to unite together in a passion that says, I'm not settling for good. God made me a promise. And it ain't been easy. I remember a friend of mine. He had a little church that sat about 130 people. And he had filled it up three times every Sunday. And so he began to build. And I was there in the meeting. His dad came. He loved his dad. His dad's now in heaven. But his dad had pastored for over 50 years. And I knew the struggle my friend was going through to get it all to come together. And his dad sat across from the desk and said, Son, why not just settle for what you have? You're a success. Why try for more? And I saw my friend's face, face shrink. And when he and I were alone, he asked me what I thought about it. And I said, dude, you need this new building. You got to have it. But what's more important is the city needs you to have it. The city needs it. And to God be all the glory, that building stands today. Hear me when I tell you this. It's not always a devil with a pitched fork and horns that tells you to settle. 
Sometimes it's voices from people that you know love you. And their intention is just to save you from the pain. But God said he'd be a very present help right in the middle of your troubles. And so our last verse as we close today, Philippians 3.16 says this, And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize, following one path with one passion. Real Life Church, can you shout amen this morning? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Put that first slide up, Sister Fowler. <clears throat> there you go. That ain't you, and that bone ain't what God promised you. So don't settle for meat bones. Press on for meat. If I can get our prayer team to please come forward. If you need prayer this morning as we bring this service to a close, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, as your Savior. Don't let another day go by. Let this be your moment. Receive Christ as your Savior and you'll discover the beginning of a whole new life. If you need prayer for any other thing, be it physical, financial, relational, it doesn't matter. Your success is our honor. And we want to pray with you this morning. So as we bring it to a close in song, if you need prayer, come forward. If not, you are dismissed to go and make something special happen in your world. God bless you. We love you. Amen. When I fall down, I won't look back. I'm pressing on because you are calling me. You are calling me.